somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And uh, a lot of stuff's coming out uh, about the Hunter Biden uh, investigation and some new information. And then Tucker has been on fire lately with his new X program uh, where he had uh, Larry Sinclair, the... the uh, ex-lover, I guess, uh, for for Barack Obama. And, um, you know, what's significant about that story is that, you know, there's this new information that's come out about uh, Barack Obama writing letters to a girlfriend of his because he was bisexual, apparently, and just dreamed, uh, he, he dreamed about making love with men in his imaginary state, uh, and he wrote that in his own handwriting to his, I think it was a white girlfriend, right? And then Larry Sinclair said at the time that he and Obama and uh, Michael, or Big Mike, or Michelle, whatever you want to call it, um was uh, having some trouble, marital trouble. And then 15 years later, they come out and they basically say, yeah, I was having some marital trouble back then. So they denied everything that this guy said back in the day, and then all of a sudden he comes out and it, it's, it's, it turns out to be accurate, you know, like a conspiracy theory that turns out to be true. Ten years later, after the statute of limitations dries up, whatever. You know, and that seems to be the case with the media in the tank for the liberals and the globalists and the globalist-backed money, the Soros-backed money, the BlackRock-backed money-backed money, BlackRock-backed money, and the, 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 the perpetuates the globalist agenda. And one of the ways that they determine whether or not you're with us or you're against us 
is that you subscribed and, and buy into all of these rules and regulations that govern consensus or govern compliance. So that the whole thing about wearing a mask, if I wear a mask, I'm with you. If I don't wear a mask, who knows? Probably not. And, you know, of course, Joe Biden was given this Medal of Honor to uh, a war veteran. And as soon as he put the medal around the guy's neck, he bolts. And he wasn't wearing a mask. And then he apologized for, for not wearing a mask. And I was just talking to a guy yesterday who has a show on our network and um, basically uh, said something to me about a source that he has uh, with regard to Homeland Security that's suggesting that, uh, well, there's going to be mask mandates and vaccine mandates rolling out again in the fall. And, you know, the popular consensus among the uh, anti-globalists or the people that are trying to save themselves for from totalitarian aggression, which is coming from the corporate big corporations like BlackRock and Vanguard and State Street and their their partners in crime, which are the heads of state like Justin Trudeau or Joe Biden and the wheels of government. Because we're at war, make no mistake about it, we're at war for our total freedom, civil liberties existence. Because if you fight for your civil liberties or your freedoms or your freedom of speech or your your freedom of mobility or your freedom to consume the kind of energy or the food that you want or freedom of having uh, your money belong to you or your property belong to you, all of those freedoms are under attack and each one of them, if you were to fight back You'll be incarcerated, just like the folks over at J6 or the Proud Boys that just got 22 and 18 years uh, in prison for basically protesting a rigged election because there's just no way that Joe Biden got 81 million votes. (laughs) Meanwhile, the ASEAN summit over in Indonesia has Kamala Harris over there acting like a full, I mean, a total full, it's it's kind of crazy almost to see what she said because it's it, it just doesn't even make any sense, Kamala. And um, let's see if I could even get that clip. That was just funny. And it was Kamala over an A... a, a Asiana, Indonesia. And what was she doing over there? Well, Biden should have been over there, but no. So here, Biden decided to skip the ASEAN summit in Indonesia. And she didn't make any sense when she was making these statements. And she looked like a total idiot. So... Right here. Let's take a listen to this. This this was quite funny. All right. So see if you can make 
heads or tails out of what she was saying right here. All right, I, I uh, just I just got it queued up. All right, let's take a listen to this. This is quite funny, or not funny, disturbing. But let's see if you can make any heads or tails as to why she's there. She was asked the question why she was even there at the ASEAN summit. And this was her answer. I feel very strongly about um, the importance as a general matter of engaging in U.S. policy as it relates to foreign affairs in a way that we pay attention, of course, to the immediate concerns and threats if they exist, but that we also pay attention to 10, 20, 30 years down the line and what we are developing now that will be to the benefit of our country then. I'm going to read you word for word what she just said. Ready? I feel very strongly about the importance as a general matter of engaging in U.S. policy as it relates to foreign affairs in a way that we pay attention, of course, to the immediate concerns and threats if they exist, but that we also pay attention to 10, 20, 30 years down the line and what we are developing now that will be to the benefit of our country then. Why does she make it so hard? Just say you're executing the Biden foreign policy in the Pacific to strengthen our partnerships and our military alliances as we see the rise of China. That's it. Why can I do that? And she can't. (laughs) That's a good question because she's really dumb. (laughs) And they're talking about Joe Biden being old and she's not she's saying he's fine. It's just so bizarre. The world we're living in. We're not we're not electing our best. There's just no way that the Biden's Kamala ticket got 81 million votes. And so people got locked up for protesting J6. Just this week, sentencing was handed out to the Proud Boys, as we had mentioned. And it's just disturbing that we're living in this world of tyranny like this. Meanwhile, Trump, it's been four indictments. Probably they're working on a fifth to meddle in our elections yet again by the FBI and the Department of Justice. I remember back when Barry Satoru, Saddam Hussein, I mean, not Saddam, Obama Hussein, Barack Hussein, Obama, and his dude, Michael. All these characters, nobody knows who they are. That was the number one takeaway from Larry Sinclair's testimony. Nobody knows who he is. He came out of nowhere. And all of a sudden, he's this state senator over in Illinois. And then four years later, he's running to be president of the United States like the Manchurian candidate, groomed, stylized. He wrote a book. Dreams of My Father. There's a movie called Dreams of My Real Father that you should check out that suggests that Frank Marshall Davis is his real dad. Everything surrounding his whole life history because he was a foreign student and you can't see his transcripts. But if he was a foreign student, then he either rigged his way into getting into Columbia or 
he truly was not eligible to be president of the United States. But he stoked the flames of racism. He divided divided our country. He and Eric Holder and Al Sharpton and all the people that he aligned himself with. And, you know, he basically didn't like the Constitution of the United States. He was anti-colonialist, even though his half-brother said in Africa that the states that were underneath colonialism actually have fared better than the states that never embraced colonialism or were never part of colonialism. I'm not a fan, I'm not suggesting colonialism was good or bad, but to actually hate your country and be the president of the United States, which is what Barack Obama has been and did and did, you know, and tried to do the cloward and pivot, break it apart, destroy it so he could build it back up in the, but I always said that would never work in America because we have a justice, a lady justice is blind and we have free and fair elections. If you take those two Achilles heels away, then you can destroy it and build it back up with the power that you have already gotten or ill-begotten. So you could destroy it, rig the election, control the army, and then build it back up. And that's exactly what the left is doing. And the globalists are all too happy about it because they get to basically sell all their goods and services to you, all the people in the world who don't have a choice. And you have these these uh, indictments all over the place. And just yesterday, I was watching the uh, Cheese Barrel, which is one of Trump's attorneys, and Sidney Powell, who is another attorney. Sidney Powell, though, I got to tell you, was lying when she talked about the Kraken. And I think she was also not helpful with regard to General Flynn. Because General Flynn hired Eric Holder's law firm, Covington and Burling. Why would he do that? And then that didn't go well, and it lasted for Trump's whole entire term to basically prevent Trump from getting involved with releasing data that would have actually exposed a lot of truth. But because it was wrapped up in an investigation in a criminal justice system, Trump was iced. And a lot of this data would have it would have amounted to obstruction. <clears throat> you know why? Because Flynn was a cabinet member, got himself to be a cabinet member, and all of a sudden you got Flynn as a cabinet member that got fired for lying to the FBI, got wrapped up in a four year litigation, which should have never taken that long. In comes Sidney Powell. It just so happens that the judge, Emmett Sullivan, was a guy that was rigging that whole system of justice, delaying it and allowing it to perpetuate for Trump's entire term. And Sidney Powell had a nerve to write license to license to lie or something like that, to uh, wrote a book and wrote a praising excerpt of Emmett Sullivan. Then she talks about the Kraken, and the Kraken is supposed to be this 
you know, this ruse of a story where the election was being rigged from Germany and the Kraken. And she said, we have the Kraken. We know who the Kraken is. Well, guess what? I know who the Kraken is. The Kraken used to work for me. The Kraken used to work here. The Kraken was fired from this station. The Kraken was a fraud. And the Kraken was long gone. And all I know is I get a call from uh, the Washington Post, of all places, and a guy named John Swain, who called me, and he wanted to talk to me about the Kraken. I said, why would I know anything about the Kraken? He said, because the Kraken is on your station. And I said, what? (laughs) And he told me who the Kraken was. And I just thought, wow, if you only knew half of what I know about the Kraken. And I told him. And they wrote a big story, and I was an anonymous source in that story. And you can find it. Washington Post, John Swain, the Kraken. Read up about it. Now, he got it half wrong because he's a Washington Post reporter. He also wrote for The Guardian. But he told me about the Kraken. And that's when I knew that Sidney Powell wasn't really legit. And that's why he, she never really was hired by Trump to do anything serious. And then when they stood up on a stage in Georgia in the, in the lead up to the runoff of the Senate seat in 2020, and they were, they were saying, don't vote. Lynn Wood, remember him? Said, don't vote. You're not dumb. You're not from Georgia. You know, whatever, right? He and Ali, Ari, Ali Alexander and, and a whole bunch of other, uh, you know, people that are, are in trouble with the law in one way or the other were all a bunch of fraudsters. And at the time, I could tell you, I could tell you 10 more stories that would blow your mind about the stuff that we knew on this show and we knew what was going on. Show hosts that you know and love were selling out for money. And uh, trust me, it, it was bizarre. It was a bizarre time. And I hope we never see the likes of that again. But when you have an infrastructure of so-called patriots that were doing these kinds of things, this fraud and deception, all the gain media attention and, and uh, media buzz, all for money. That's the way they did it. And I was told that specifically by some people. And you got the, the Patrick Burns of the world that are doing wire transfers and digital currency payouts to perpetuate these people up onto the stages. And these so-called patriots were just following like sheep. They were being herded like people they didn't know. They didn't know who was telling the truth and who wasn't. And that was a bad time in America. But that was about the time in the lead up to the J6. And no wonder this J6 thing went the way it did. And I wanted no part of J6. Because I said at the time, and you can check it out on my podcast, that this whole J6 thing, no, we should have had rallies at the state capitals of each state that was being contested. 
and we should have held the state legislatures accountable for certifying those elections. And it should have never been in the hands of Pence. We just heard audio from James Clapper talking about what a scoundrel Pence was. There was so much lies and deception among the conservative movement. Forget about the Democrats. They're evil as well. But how in the world could Trump possibly survive that? And here we are still with all of these attacks and all these lies and deceptions going on. You know, whether it's the Russian hoax or the Ukrainian call or all these different impeachment things, Lindsey Graham and all his fraud welcomed the impeachment in the House so that he can gain leverage in the Senate to get Trump to do basically anything he wanted him to do. Otherwise, the Senate was going to throw and toss Trump out of office. And so Trump had to cooperate with the Senate in order to keep his job as President of the United States. And that's where Lindsey Graham and Mitch McConnell and all the people we know who loved Biden and really didn't love Trump. And we have Lindsey Graham. We have the receipts on Lindsey Graham. We have the receipts on Mitch McConnell. We know what's what's what. But there is so much fraud and abuse and deception. It's unbelievable, folks. I could do hours and hours of show that would just blow your mind. And half of it I can't even say for multiple of reasons because I'd get sued, number one, because these all these people are sue happy. And number two, I might lose half my audience because you're not ready for that truth. But that truth is there. You'd think that I somehow turned, and I didn't. But man, I'll tell you, every time I talk about that subject, it's just, it's unbelievable. The amount of hate mail I got when I made some changes on this network, the amount of hate mail I got, I got hate mail galore. People thought I was the turncoat. I wasn't the turncoat. I was trying to express the truth. And I got nothing from it. You know, I didn't go and win anything. But anyway. All right, so we have this case yesterday. I watched it. It was kind of interesting. And it was this Kenneth Cheeseborough and Sidney Powell before Judge McAfee in Georgia. And uh, they're pushing for a speedy trial. And they want to sever their ties with the other 17 because there's 19 indictments. So they want to sever their ties. And this is sort of what they had to say here. Let's take a listen. More on top of that than me. And as you'll hear from Mr. Rafferty, I suspect on behalf of Ms. Powell, it is going to... Okay, so Rafferty is Ms. Powell's attorney. This is the attorney for Cheeseboro. Cheeseboro. And Cheeseboro, he's an attorney himself just like Powell is. And they want a speedy trial. They want they have a right to a speedy trial. Now, meanwhile, Meadows and Trump and all these other people don't want a speedy trial because they have cases all over the place, right? In uh, all kinds of jurisdictions with Jack Smith and all this BS. So 
they're basically like, why should we be mired down in this four month long trial sitting, waiting for all this other stuff? You know, we, our time is precious. Our time is money. And why should we be? So we want to, we want a speedy trial. But if they go for a speedy trial, then they have to sever themselves from the other 17 individuals. And so it's going to be a mess. And what they're trying to do is fast track the whole 19 as a group and push them all through as a group. Now, the left thinks that somehow, because Powell and Cheeseboro didn't get what they wanted, which is to have two separate trials, Cheeseboro has one and then Powell has the other, they're going to be tried jointly as two people as part of the 19 that want the speedy trial. And so they're going to go ahead and in October, they're going to be in court, which is going to allow the, uh, which is going to require the prosecutors to reveal their entire case, number one. And number two, it's going to help, I think, Meadows' case in pushing to federal court, getting out of that Atlanta jury pool. Um, And once Meadows gets out of the, Fulton County jury pool into federal court, there's not going to be any chance in heck that uh, that there's going to be any kind of conviction. So that, that's where that's the angle. That's what that's how this game this game is being played right now. And so this speedy trial is going to reveal the prosecutor's case. The case is going to be feckless and stupid. Then they're going to appeal to the Eleventh Circuit Court if it doesn't go their way because of a rigged jury. And they're going to go to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. It's going to get appealed successfully. And this case isn't even going to see the light of day for probably well after the 2024 election. You watch. And the Democrats think that they won something yesterday by not separating Cheesebro and Powell's cases and keeping them together. But Cheesebro and Powell are already severed from the other 17 just because of the speedy trial alone. So let's take a lesson. More on top of that than me, and as you'll hear from Mr. Rafferty, I suspect on behalf of Ms. Powell, it is going to significantly um, affect these defendants' rights to a fair and impartial trial. Why should Mr. Chesborough have to deal with a jury who's going to sit there for weeks, if not months, and listen to all of this evidence related to Coffee County and Ms. Powell He's never been there. He's never met Ms. Powell. He's never emailed, texted, or called her. He's never spoken with her directly or indirectly. And although I'm not trying to steal the thunder from my colleague, Mr. Rafferty, on behalf of Ms. Powell, same is to be said for Ms. Powell. Why should Ms. Powell have to sit there for weeks and months hearing evidence and testimony about the alternate slate of elector alleged scheme when she's not even alleged to have any involvement in that? And again, for the third and last time I'll go back to, I do understand that RICO exists, whether we like it or not. The prosecution chose to bring this case under RICO, although they could have very well brought this case specifically against individuals who are charged with individual crimes. But they chose not to, and that's their discretion. But, Your Honor, that should not 
override Mr. Chesborough's right to a fundamentally fair trial. It's in the state constitution, it's in the federal constitution, it's in the Georgia Code. And I'm, I'm really worried that allowing evidence related to all of these other counts and all of these other defendants, in, in particular, in this case, Ms. Powell, will, will very seriously jeopardize this. I think, as Mr. Aurora will make clear, it is clearly well within the discretion of the court if not, as we argue, mandatory to grant some uh, to grant this um, severance from Ms. Powell and also to grant the severance we asked for related to the counts that don't affect Mr. Chesborough. So with that. All right. So you see, that's the foundation of the hearing yesterday. And then here's Judge McAvee. Obviously, I think as has been made clear, we're on an expedited timeline uh, with these statutory speedy trial demands. And uh, the we are certainly here ready and willing to provide uh, both defendants that right, and we need we're, we plan to make that October 23rd trial date stick. Uh, with that in mind, uh, I don't know if we're always going to be able to have the luxury of uh, pre-hearing briefing and post-hearing briefing, and some of these issues may require a little more uh, exp- exploration than others. Uh, this one, I, I don't think, is one of those. Um, when it comes to uh, the question of whether to sever Ms. Powell and uh, Mr. Chesbro, uh, I certainly agree that there are always guardrails and that uh, RICO, uh, as indicted, can't just be used to, to do anything, but uh, it is broadly construed, and we do, those guardrails are found in those three factors, and the three factors traditionally that we've gone through uh, really don't seem to be at play here. Um, we don't, uh, for, for one, the antagonistic defense uh, issue is conceded. Uh, both parties are going to be claiming they have no idea who the other is and won't be pointing the fingers at each other. I think the argument that they're charged in two separate kind of silos of charges uh, strengthens the idea that there won't be confusion amongst the jurors and there won't be spillover evidence. So really the, the strongest thing that I'm hearing, and I don't think it's invalid, is that it's going to be uh, kind of a matter of inconvenience and uh, potential added expense to have both uh, defendants sit together. And that's certainly uh, true, but uh, there's also other judicial economy aspects to consider and, and issues of, of inconvenience as well. We talk about the jurors. I don't think it's, it's we can take for granted that these would both be two equally four-month-long trials. Uh, I think it could easily be twice that with, um, with multiple defendants, and, and I think we need to take into account the fact that uh, one docket goes entirely on hold while this case is going. And instead of it being, if we're purely considering aspects of judicial economy, which to me was the really the only valid argument here, um, I think taking up two dockets and uh, for a period of four months uh, also weighs into that, as well as the voir dire process and the inconvenience to the jurors. Um, so based on what's been presented today, I, I, I'm not finding the severance uh, from Mr. Chesbro or Powell is necessary to achieve a fair determination of the guilt or innocence for either defendant in this case. And so I'll, I'll deny Mr. Chesbro's motions to sever from Ms. Powell. I'll deny in part uh, Ms. Powell's motion to sever from Mr. Chesbro. And the plan will be to enter a scheduling order for Miss um, Powell mirroring that of Mr. Chesbro with the October 23rd date holding. Uh, it sounds like the state is still sticking to the position that all these defendants should remain, and they want to address some of these removal issues. Um, I'll... I'll 
I'm willing to hear that. I, I remain very skeptical, uh, but we can. Um, I'm, I'm willing to hear what you have to say on it. Remain very skeptical. That's that's basically saying I am very skeptical that you can get 19 lawyers in a room and engage in this whole thing, which would be even if you got all 19, uh, which is they're going to have a hearing next week about this, where all 19 would be in the room. And then you expect that this is, case would be wrapped up in four months from October. That's October, uh, November, December, January, February, right? That's This is the fastest track you can get. So already it's up to February. Then there's a six-month turnaround for the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals. That gets you into like uh, July, August. And that's right in the middle of the election. I mean, obviously. So this is just one case. And all 19 attorneys are not going to be able to get in the room. He obviously is skeptical. And it's more than skeptical. It's it's a certainty that this case in Atlanta will not be wrapped up before the 2024 election. Take that to the bank. And that's uh, just a fact. So Laura Logan, uh, she said, every day someone makes another meme and nothing changes. No one except Trump and his supporters go to jail. The Republicans in Congress change nothing. Candidates campaign for 2024 as if it will actually be a real election of those pushing humanity into slavery, extinction, get one step closer to their goal. So basically, you know, how we're even sitting there with a straight face talking about like as if school vouchers or uh, border security are real issues. Our our existence is at at stake. Election fraud is real. And this climate change hoax and COVID masks and election fraud and the open borders are all existential threats to our existence. So Philip Shiler wrote, if you think the cheating was only in five or six states, consider this. According to Judicial Watch, 353 counties in 29 different states had voter registration exceeding 100%. This is not an election. It was a coup disguised as an election. So that's what I've been saying all along on the Scott Adams show. Basically that these registrations, these illegals are getting registered to vote and they're getting sent out ballots and the ballots are being picked up by harvesters and they're given 30 days. They could wear a mask. They could be anonymous. They could drop off 10,000 ballots if they want in a drop box. And these drop boxes and these mail-in ballots get counted after election night results are in. You can't lose an election like that. I mean, it's absolutely insane and absurd that nobody's doing anything about this. So, you know, that's why you have near 100% turnout with a population that doesn't even know the name of the vice president, doesn't even know who the founding fathers are. They don't know anything about your country. Um, <clears throat> we get, we, I think we ought to get back to, we ought to install testing. Who were the founding fathers? 
You know, when was the country, when, when was a declaration of independence signed? I mean, all of these things. Multiple choice if you want. But the fact remains that the 100% registration exceeding 100% in, 20, in 353 counties in 29 different states should tell you everything you want to know about how they're abusing the illegals motor voter registration in getting people registered to vote so that they could pick up their ballots as harvesters and mail them out. From what I understand, 2,000 mules is going to be delivered for free on Twitter soon. Uh, So check that out. So here's another one. On November 3rd, 2020, when the vote count was halted that night, Trump held a PA by 682,000 votes. That's 15.2%. Trump held Georgia by 311,000 votes. Trump held Michigan by 307,000 votes. Trump held Wisconsin by 128,000 votes. Trump held North Carolina by 77,000 votes. At 4 a.m. the next morning, all that changed. Call me a conspiracy theorist, but I'm going to say the 2020 election was not a fair one. And that's just one reason why I'm running for Senate, is what James Bradley said in California. Democrats have gone rogue in this country, and only the people can stop them. I hope you will join his journey, right? So that's what he's saying. But that's true. Now, what you get as a result of election fraud is you get tyrants like Justin Trudeau, who basically communist says he's a communist, right? Communist says there's too much disinformation on social media. Let's take a listen. Understanding that insecurity and instability around the world is one of the greatest challenges, not just to economies, but to democracies. When people don't feel secure, secure in their own jobs, secure within their community, feel secure for their kids or for their path to retirement, they become more vulnerable, more vulnerable to populist thinking, to authoritarianism, to being swayed by the misinformation and disinformation that surrounds them every day on social media. People are anxious. No wonder people are anxious. The world is changing now harder and faster than it ever has. Pandemic, climate change, global conflicts, reorienting uh, geostability, uncertain economics, the rise of AI and automation, putting jobs at risk. No wonder people are worried. No wonder people are anxious. No wonder people are looking for any solutions they can. Well, they're the cause of the problem. They're the arson that's putting the fire out. That's job security for the firemen. How about, you know, they, they are the arson. I just was watching um, Anthony Blinken sitting at the table in Ukraine, in Kiev, just over the last couple of days. And what struck me was Victoria Newland was there, Toria. She was there. She's the one that, with Jeffrey Pyatt, overthrew the government election or, or the election 
and basically installed a new leader by hook or by crook in 2014 in Ukraine. And it's been a cesspool of corruption ever since. These monsters break it and then they try to fix it like Cloward and Piven. They destroy it. They destroy it and then they try to build it back up and in a format that works for them the best. And this level of corruption knows no bounds. So we heard from Larry Sinclair. We learned more about what a fraud Barack Hussein Obama is. Um, it's crazy. Let's see. Is this the one? I think Ob- Yeah, right here. This is the clip I wanted to play. So very interesting interview. This is just one little small clip of a 40-minute interview. Let's take a listen. Obama is hell-bent. Uh, I had made a statement during that press conference that I felt that Barack Obama being elected was going to push race, race relations in this country backwards 50 years. I... I'm absolutely positive I was. <laughs> yes. I, well, I think you've been you've been vindicated on that because <laughs> race relations in this country has not only gotten pushed back, but everything's about race now. Everything. Everything is about victimization now. Um, I'm, it's interesting, though. Um, yeah, he's a, obviously a race hater, very anti-white, but he had sex with a white man. So you have to ask, like, is that real? Oh, for him, of course. I, and I would be willing to bet you I'm not the only white person he's ever had sex with, or male, anyone. Yeah. Um, but, hey, he's got what he wanted. You know, he is in D.C. He's living the life. He's still looked upon as, as being the savior of, of the country. You know, and sadly, people are still giving him that power. And I think it's going eventually to be to, to the detriment of. Can, can I just ask you one last question? How did you? It, that's. It, I'm just thinking about it. It's very insightful because I, I knew a lot of people who weren't liberal who voted for Obama, purely on the race question, mm-hmm. and they weren't all self-hating, guilty whites. They were like nice, normal people who wanted to see race relations improve, and that really was the core promise of his campaign. And a lot of people bought it. A lot of smart people bought mm-hmm. it, and I saw why they bought it. But you didn't buy it. How did you know that? I grew up in South Carolina in the 1960s and 70s. Okay. I've been gay and knew I was gay since six years old. Never hit it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in rural South Carolina. And my first job as a kid was cropping tobacco for a family by the name of Rose that were a black family living across the road from my grandparents. Um, so I grew up as a kid a gay kid in an era and a area that would get you killed being gay just as quick as you could be hanging being black. So I actually knew the other side of the track before I knew that I was supposed to act like I was above this or above that. I've watched it my whole life. I know when someone plays when it comes to acting like they're one way and then in reality they're the biggest racists or bigots alive on both sides okay 
I knew because he was saying one thing in the campaign. And then if people started to actually listen to what he was saying, remember there was a time when he actually told supporters to show up at a fight with a knife, get in people's face, argue with them if they didn't agree to support him, if they didn't agree to vote for him, argue with them, convince them. Come on. You don't make statements like that and tell me that you're not going to make things about race. He did. Man. Just like Johnny Cochran and the O.J. Simpson. That's how O.J. Simpson got off. They played the race card. That's how Obama got elected. The race card. I don't know what makes people tick upstairs that they are so gullible and they buy into this stuff. It's just bizarre how weak-minded some certain people can be. But, um, yeah, it's absolutely crazy. All right, so um, we have a couple of other uh, things I want to cover here. Uh, lead congressional investigator into the Biden family says they are headed to court over the records. So that's Comer. So Comer, everything that we do is to end is we do is to in the end win in court because that's where we're headed. That's what Comer says. He was on Laura Ingram last night, and uh, I just saw this clip on Twitter, and I wanted to cover a little bit of the Hunter Biden scandal because there's a lot of new stuff that's that's taking place. We still want to play that Victor Orban clip as well, but uh, we're going to start with this one. Here we go. All right, tonight we have brand new details on how Joe, I never talked business with my son Biden, did talk about Hunter's business dealings and, as vice president, had his office involved. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer today demanding that the National Archives provide unredacted emails and documents related to the vice president's office colluding with the Biden family and their business associates. Here's one example. December 4th, 2015. Hunter's longtime business partner, Eric Schwerin, wrote to then VP comms director Kate Bedingfield, giving her quotes she could use from Hunter regarding his work with Burisma. She responded, VP signed off on this and that she would provide a statement from Joe's office on Burisma as well. So <laughs> how could Joe Biden, who claims he's never spoken to his son about his business dealings, which we never believed, Sign off on quotes about those dealings. Now, even the White House press corps thought something is fishy here today. How do you respond to criticism that that shows there was no wall between then Vice President Biden's work and um, his family's business dealings? I understand the question. I appreciate the question. I get the question. I'm just going to let the White House counsel uh, team answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I bet she is. <laughs> Joining me now, House Oversight Committee Chair James Comer. Congressman, you and I have suspected this all along. Something else, though, happened the same day the White House received that email. What was it? Well, they had the meeting. And we've had testimony and there's emails. There's more evidence of more meetings where Hunter was told uh, that they needed to call Washington for help. Uh, we've had Devin Archer testify uh, and say that uh, there's evidence that points that the Burisma executives were squeezing Hunter Biden to call Washington for help. Uh, so we know 
that uh, Hunter Biden was communicating with the White House. This email that you just uh, posted was one of many, and we believe there are more that the archives are sitting on, where the Biden, uh, the Hunter Biden legal team, the Hunter Biden PR people, the Hunter Biden's sh- uh, shady characters who were paying him were communicating through him to his father back and forth. There was no wall between Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden, and his shady business dealings. So the meeting among the Burisma executives happening, clearly they needed a lifeline of some sort or some type of reassurance. And it's your contention or supposition at this point that at that point, Hunter kicked in, got word through Schwerin to the comms uh, director, comms uh, staffer at the White House, and then she sought to reassure, saying, yes, the vice president has signed off on these quotes. That's what you're seeing so far. Yeah. Hunter Biden has been in trouble for a long time. Burisma was a corrupt energy company. That's why Shokin, the Ukrainian prosecutor, was investigating him for the first place. Remember, Shokin even seized some assets uh, from the owners of Burisma in other countries. This is a corrupt entity. The press was picking up on this. And the Biden, Hunter's legal team, Hunter's PR people, whoever they were, were communicating back and forth with Joe Biden, who was vice president, so they can be an official government position on this, an official government statement to the press corps, uh, reassuring everyone that everything was fine and, and you know, everything was on the up and up. This is further coordination between Hunter Biden and the federal government and Joe Biden. And remember, we believe there's coordination between the Department of Justice and the cover-up. There's two, two crimes here, the actual Biden corruption and then the cover-up. And all along the way, there have been people coordinating, people representing Hunter Biden, who were paying Hunter Biden, people who uh, were representing him in court, people who were in trouble, just like Hunter Biden, for for crimes. And they were communicating back and forth with our federal government uh, to cover up this crime and to make sure that they could spin the false narrative. Uh, Congressman, how deep could this go? How how many people were involved in covering this up so it, it wouldn't come out, wouldn't, wouldn't come out during uh, the Obama administration and toward the end of it. And it certainly wouldn't come out when Biden was running for president. I mean, how many people are we talking about, you think? Well, let's start at the top. We, we know Merrick Garland has told the National Archives not to cooperate with us. We know that someone told the IRS whistleblowers to stand down. Uh, we, we know that uh, just this week, there were F, there were Secret Service agents that, who were working with us on trying to identify the people who tipped off the Biden legal team that the IRS was fixing to knock on the door. And uh, our sources at the Secret Service say that Mayorkas called them to tell them to stop cooperating with Comer and the Oversight Committee. So Mayorkas and Merrick Garland are part of the cover-up. These are the two arguably highest-ranking people in the Biden administration. Wow. That is huge. That's huge right there. Let's take a listen to this. Colin Rugg, uh, breaking the Department of Justice, lied to the Delaware U.S. Attorney Weiss to throw off the investigation into Hunter Biden's tax fraud. So this was uh, part of a committee hearing. Do, do you all, were you all ever given access to the form 1023 that alleged Joe Biden and Hunter Biden were a part of a bribery scheme with Ukraine? The, the, the reason I ask that is because that allegation is consistent 
the way that uh, the oligarch claimed he gave the Bidens the bribe is consistent with what we've seen in Romania and other countries where they set up all these shell companies and then they launder the money uh, through the shell companies back down to bif- bif- different Biden family members. So I-, I wondered if you knew about that form before it became public. So I can speak to that. So in my original transcript, um, I-, I-, I wouldn't have been able to say that I knew anything about 1023, but I provided a supplement after I saw open source information from the former Attorney General Bill Barr that said that he saw this, this document and they sent it to Delaware for further investigation and uh, the, 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 the team, as, as far to the best of my knowledge, never saw that document. So the team that was in charge of investigating the Biden family for tax crimes never received the FBI document that alleged Joe Biden was involved in a bribery scheme? For the IRS investigators on the case, the answer is no. Is that, un- is that odd? I, I, I mean, everybody knew you were investigating the Bidens for at least tax evasion. Generally speaking, if there's any types of money coming in and there's an, a criminal tax investigation ongoing, I don't see how that inf- information could be withheld from the investigators. And I, and I can tell you, and I can pr- provide this in my testimony, but, like, there is things that are contained on that document that could further corroborate other information that we might be having an issue corroborating because it could be regarding a foreign official. So if we have information regarding that in a document or a witness, we can further corroborate later evidence. And like I said, if that's something that we have, we can turn that over to the House Ways and Means Committee. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. So it's 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 really getting interesting, and um, we'll see where it takes us. But there's just so much going on right now. You know, I was joking with somebody though. Uh, it's like the federal government uh, is spending so much money investigating its own crimes, um, whether it's the Democrats perpetuating hoaxes against and making stuff up. Uh, related to the Russian hoax or the Ukrainian call so that they could still cover up their crimes. They're committing crimes and hoaxes to cover up their own crimes, which is what they did during the Trump years. And then now uh, you got the Republican Congress that's investigating and they're stonewalling and blocking and all these whistleblowers. And I mean, we have a, we have to hit the reset button on our government. The government corruption, I think, is at an all-time fever pitch right now. And we got to get back to having some integrity in our government and in our with our elections. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Be sure to check out magapac.org, magapac.org. Make a donation if you can to help us support America First policies to make America great again. Uh, to keep this show, the Scott Adams Show, commercial-free, a donation over there helps. Also, use Red, St- Red State as your promo code over at MyPillow.com. And with that, we'll see you next time on the video. Goodbye, everybody. Just to bury my kids right up to there.